0: Welcome to another spectacular word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, senior pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Are you ready for the word? All right. Let's open up our words this morning. Eventually we're going to find our way to Mark chapter 9. We'll be uh, sharing a little bit before we get there. And today we're going to be uh, talking about Jesus loves the little children. Y'all remember that song? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Well, I, I, I thought, you know, what better... Title Could we get for our message today on a day that we are kicking off our vacation Bible adventure than to talk about Jesus loving little children? But today you're going to learn some things that you probably. Uh, either do not know or have not yet considered. It's not that you couldn't know, but I have had an advantage of studying the Word of God for decades. I have a wonderful opportunity each week to dedicate my Saturdays to studying the Word of God. You know, uh, I work weekends. Of course, uh, Sundays you see that, but what you don't get to see is the opportunity that God has given me for decades to seclude myself uh, for the most part Uh, uh, on Saturdays and just, you know, just saturate myself with the Word of God and, and seek God for what He would have me to share because this is God's opportunity in your life. Uh, you know, It matters very little what I say, it only matters what uh, you're going to receive and what you take home with you, providing it's the truth, providing it's something that God wanted to tell you. And so that's my great adventure every week, is that I get an opportunity to, to go to God's Word and, and, and study it and just handle it, and during the week I get to continue just meditating on it and, and reading it. It's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to have had it, but it allows me to see some facets and to consider some things that uh, that others may not have the opportunity to divide their time to see these things. And so I get to do that, and then I get to come here and share with you the things that I have gotten to harvest uh, over the week. You know, it's it's... The Bible likens it to, to me having a job in a field and working in a field and gathering my fruit and coming and getting to share the fruit of my labor with you. That's what the Bible uh, talks about as far as what uh, you know, uh, preachers and teachers and pastors and evangelists get to do. And so uh, this morning, before we get to Mark chapter 9 and talking about Jesus loving the little children, um, let me set a stage for you. Okay, it's going to seem like there are almost two messages here this morning, but don't get lost in the one. We'll bring them all back together. I'll bring both of them together at the end, and you'll, you'll, you'll see that they make some sense, all right? Um, uh, before we get to Mark chapter 9, I'm going to read a verse or two, um, one in Matthew eight fourteen, It simply says this, Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house... He saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. Now we see that in Mark chapter 8 that Jesus went into Peter's house and he found Peter's mother-in-law sick and he healed her. Luke chapter 4 verse 38 tells the same story. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John often tell the same stories and, and they may tell them from a little different perspective. And uh, Luke says that Jesus went into Peter's house and found his mother-in-law sick, and he healed her. Well, uh, Mark, the first chapter, uh, tells us another detail or two of this. Uh, You know, the Gospel of Mark, as Mark often does, he adds a few details that the others leave out. I'll give you a reason why that may be true in just a moment, but but uh, we see some details. We we read some observations in Mark that we only find in Mark. Mark the first chapter in verse twenty nine, in talking about this same event, says, "Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they, being Jesus and his disciples." entered the house of Simon, who is Peter. That's what the other one said. They went into Peter's house, but they just leave it there. Here Mark says the house was where Simon lived and his brother Andrew lived, and James and John were with them. Now now we know that these four boys were fishermen, Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, and we know that they were originally raised in the town of Bethsaida, which is about, oh, three miles down the coast on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fishing village right where the Jordan River empties, going south, empties into the Sea of Galilee, Bethsaida. sits right there in that northeastern corner of the Sea of Galilee and, uh, and the Jordan River. Capernaum is like over here, okay? It's west about three miles on the shoreline. So evidently these boys have moved and we have historical, archaeological, actually, we have archaeological evidence that, yeah, these boys moved there and their family became a part of what was going on in the town of Capernaum where this is happening, where Peter's house was that James and John and Andrew lived there as well. That's very interesting, because that's the city that Jesus chose to call his own. That's the place where Jesus moved whenever he grew up and, and left Nazareth uh, in, in Luke the fourth chapter. That's where Jesus moved down to, and he took up residence. You may remember that Jesus said, whatever house you enter into, don't go from house to house to house, but stay in that house. And you know That's what Jesus did, because we continue to see Jesus in that house over and over and over and over again. Very interesting. Uh, Mark adds little details like this which Mark could not know because he didn't see it firsthand. A lot of people imagine that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John were disciples but that's not the truth. You know only Matthew and John were disciples. Luke was a Gentile physician. And Mark was just a young kid during the time that Jesus you know, chose his disciples and ministered all in that area. You know, neither one of these guys had, you know, had anything to do with Jesus. So how in the world do we get Mark giving us an account Of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, he wasn't there. He didn't see this, but he's right up there with Matthew. And, you know, we know that Luke did a research paper, two research papers, okay? He went and interviewed eyewitnesses. And so he wrote the book of Luke and wrote the book of Acts as a first letter and a second letter about the life of Jesus, what he did while he was ministering in his earthly ministry, and then also about what the Holy Spirit did in the book of Acts after Jesus was resurrected. But Mark, Mark really hits the ground running. You know, he doesn't give us a genealogy. He doesn't give us the birth. You know, he doesn't give us in the beginning. Mark just gets right into what Jesus was doing. Mark is all about what Jesus did. But Mark wasn't there. How could Mark give us so many eyewitness accounts whenever he was not even a part of that? The best we can understand, looks like he kind of lived in Jerusalem. Well, uh, of course, we know that Mark was a disciple of Peter. And we know that Mark primarily ministered with the apostle Peter. And so it's no stretch of the imagination to see that this account in the gospel of Mark comes from the eyewitness testimonies and sharing of what Mark would have heard from Peter. Now we know as well, some of you might be thinking, well Mark was also with Paul. Yes, but Paul was never with Jesus. So the only place Mark could have. He couldn't have heard it from Barnabas. He couldn't have heard it from any. He would have had to have heard it from Peter. And he was Peter's disciple. And so what we read in Peter, we know was greatly influenced by the time uh, the, and, 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 and uh, that Mark had spent with Peter. Hearing these stories because Mark adds some things in his gospel that only Peter would have really seen, perhaps understood. Like the cock crowing you know, uh, 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 twice and him denying Jesus three times and then him weeping. Well, that's, that's only found in Mark. How would Mark know? Well, how, how would anybody know except Peter who was there at the moment and looked and saw? And, uh, you know, uh, th- th- those little things are very important. In fact, evidently, it was kind of important, perhaps, to Peter to set the record straight of who was actually, who, whose house this actually was. You know, <laughs> this was, uh, you know, Matthew said, you know, they entered into Peter's house. Luke says they entered into Peter's house. Mark says, well, they entered into Peter's house, but also Andrew lived there and James and John, <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, It is believed reasonably by many that Mark wrote uh, uh, the gospel of Mark under the anointing of the Holy Spirit from the first-hand accounts of the apostle Peter. The book of Mark is considered by some to even be the gospel according to Peter. Uh, And uh, several times throughout the gospels we find instances like this, but we also find that Jesus was often in Peter's house. So that Peter had this different kind of relationship. You know, John had a different relationship with Jesus than anybody else had, but Peter also had a different relationship. Peter was kind of you know bombastic and kind of sanguine and kind of in Jesus' face from time to time. You know, and uh, Peter is the one that Jesus said to get behind me, Satan. I mean, he didn't say that to John. It would have probably broke his heart, but Peter kind of was tough enough to take it. Okay, great, I'll get behind you then. You know, let's uh, you know. Uh, Peter's the one that denied him. Peter's the one that you know. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, um, Peter had a great influence, no doubt, on what is being written here. And and we find Jesus spending a lot of time in Capernaum, in Peter's house. We find Jesus with Peter's family. We find Jesus interacting a lot uh, in this particular environment by choice. In fact, in Matthew, the 13th chapter, the Bible tells us that Jesus went out of the house and went out by the seaside, sat down, and multitudes came. Well, it's talking about Peter's house. I went out of the house. He just called it the house. I went out of the house. But if you read it, it was was Peter's house, and he sat down by the Sea of Galilee. And if you go with me to, to, to Israel this year, I'll take you to Capernaum, and I'll show you the approximate area within the size of this church where Peter's house would have been. And you can see that it's just about, oh, 30 yards less to the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus would have sat down. And the multitude, he he, he taught them in what was, you know, be like an um, um, a theater. Uh, Matthew the 13th, chapter, verse 36, uh, let me read it to you. It says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. Talking about Peter's house. And his disciples came with him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares. You know, there, there, there seemed to be this private place. It seemed to be a, a, a closer place. You know, uh, disciples. Now, think about this with me if you would. I don't want to depress anyone, okay? But these, these are the realities. These things are put there for us to understand. And so having studied it, it's made me wonder. The multitudes are sitting on the seashore and the disciples are sitting there and they're listening to Jesus talk about the parable of the tares and the the ground and the good ground and, and, and wheat growing with tares and angels coming and, you know, and no one understood a thing. Isn't that amazing? That the disciples were listening to Jesus preach a message to the multitude perhaps for a couple of hours and then whenever he said amen and all the people went away and I'm sure that there were a bunch of people going oh that was a good sermon oh that was a good sermon oh that was a good sermon but they didn't have the slightest idea what he's talking about because the disciples follow him into the house the multitude couldn't follow him in the house, but disciples want to get a little closer. Disciples want to go a little far, a little farther. Disciples want to pursue a little deeper. Disciples want to, you know, get a little closer, you know. And so they, they they went into the house with Jesus and said, "What in the world were you talking about? What do you mean? What did you mean by what you said? You know, this happens to me. I often, between here and the house, have to explain to Brenda what I preached on on the Sunday morning." <laughs> Hello. I know you love it and you laugh and you leave here saying it's a good sermon, but I don't expect much more than the multitudes go away and you're not even sure what I said by the time lunch happens. Ooh. But if you want to know, you got to take it and do something more with it. You got to go a little farther with it, you got to take it personal. Whatever you hear today, if you really want to know how it can change your life, you're going to have to take it as though it's yours. You're going to have to follow Jesus a little closer, go a little farther, pursue a little deeper. You're going to have to do something with what you heard, and that's what they did. Uh, What they heard gave them questions, and they asked Jesus the questions. When you leave here today, ask Jesus, what in the world I meant? Okay? That's going to be your discipleship adventure today. You know Brother Ron, he preached a good sermon. He got loud a time or two. He was fiery. Oh, I felt the Holy Ghost. What did he mean, though? What did he say? That's what it says. Uh, they, they, they ask him, what did you mean? Matthew chapter 17, the Bible talks about Jesus coming to Capernaum and he's coming into the house again. You know, verse 25, and when he had come in the house, you know, this is the place where, where, uh, when Peter and, and Jesus got back to Capernaum and Jesus went into the house, some tax collectors came up outside and said, Hey, Peter, Hey, Simon, Peter, don't you guys pay taxes? Or do you think you're exempt from taxes? Peter said, oh, no. you know." So when they went away, the Bible says Peter went into the house. And Jesus already knew what the question was. And he said, listen, who do people take taxes of? strangers or sons and Peter said strangers he said yeah go on down to the sea cast in a you know hook and and pull it out and go ahead and pay taxes for me and you both because you know we both live here we need to pay taxes the city wants us to pay taxes they recognize us as being here and so we need to go ahead and pay our taxes that all happened in Peter's house Jesus was a part of the family. Jesus was a part of the scene. Jesus was a part of what was going on in Capernaum. Jesus was a, you know, a member of the community. And he, well, you know, the, the house, we see him over and over and over in Mark, the second chapter. Uh, and again, Jesus entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. That's Peter's house. This was Jesus' house. It was where the boys hung out. It was where the, you know, uh, 12, you know, in, in, in there with Peter's family, it was Peter's mother-in-law's house, you know, most likely, but you know, they, they all just lived there and hung out there, you know, you'd be surprised how many people didn't even realize Peter was married. But by the time we get to Mark chapter nine, which is our text for today, Peter has been married about three, at least three and a half years. He might've been married four or five years but he's been married at least three and a half years because we're at the end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. And we're only a couple of weeks away from the cross. And this is one of the last times that we see Jesus, you know, the last time here in, 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 in the house. And Mark 9, verse 33, are, y- are y'all ready for the word yet? <laughs> I like to give a lot of background, don't I? I'm, uh, you know... I'm of the mind that it makes a difference when you actually can put yourself in the place. And you can see what we, and you realize that Jesus really did stay with Peter. And it was in the city of Capernaum. And he felt at home there. And it was Peter's house and Peter's family was around and Jesus cared about his mother-in-law and Jesus cared you know uh, and and things that would go on in a in a in a, in a normal home. And there were disciples there. There were, you know, uh, these 12 guys were in and out of there all the time. They felt comfortable to come in and ask questions. And, and uh, in, in verse 33 of Mark 9, then Jesus and his disciples came to Capernaum. Now they'd been on a mission trip, they'd been walking down this long, hot, dusty trail, okay? It was early spring, or maybe mid spring. And so uh, he was in the house, and when he was in the house, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, talking about Peter's house, he asked his disciples, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. They didn't say a word. Why? Well, because on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. You know, while they were walking, I mean, you know, on mission trips, you talk about a lot of things because, you know, you go somewhere and do a lot of work, but in between it's kind of like traveling back and forth. You kind of like, you know, get off in groups and you talk about this and you talk about that. We're about to take a mission trip to, 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 to Kenya, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's you know, uh, 35 to 40 of us and, and you know, uh, we're going to do a lot of work, but in between riding the bus back and forth and, and, you know, on the plane here, there, you know, we're break up in small groups. You just can't help it and You're talking about it stuff. And, 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 you know, here, Jesus had heard them talking, no doubt, but he knew what they were talking about. And so when they get to Capernaum and they get into the house, they get settled down, everything, you know, was a, whoo, Jesus said, Hey, by the way, what were y'all talking about? No one said a word that kind of closed it up. I've had that experience on the bus too. Whenever I go back on the bus and I go, Hey, what are y'all talking about? They go, Jesus, this is in a real situation, okay? And so look what Jesus, uh, you know, uh, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And so verse 35, Jesus sat down and he said, come here, boys. He called the 12 to him. Come on. And he said to them, if anyone desires to be first, if anyone really wants to be first, let me tell you how you do it. Okay. He's not saying if anyone is first, they're last. Many people misread that. He didn't say here that the first will be last. He said if anyone desires, it's a matter of the heart. If you desire to be first, if this is what you're really looking for, um, he shall be last of all and servant of all. He's not saying that I'm I'm going to hurt you if you want to be first. He's not saying I'm going to curse you if you want to be first. He's saying if you desire to be first, then here is the road to being first. Because this is something that is supported in the whole uh, volume of the Scripture over and over and over. We see this same thing. That if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to be the servant of all. You know, this is is the pathway to to becoming great. He said, you know... uh, this mind should be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, who, though he was in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, the Apostle Paul said. And he served us. You know, he said, if a man desires to be first, anyone desires to be first... He shall be last of all and servant of all. Then Jesus, verse 36, took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. What a wonderful object lesson here. Now, If we were to read the other gospel accounts, Matthew and Luke, for example, we would not find one important detail in Matthew or Luke that we find in Mark. Mark, again, here, adds a detail that is only found in Mark. Okay? Uh, Can you guess what detail it might be? It's found in verse 36. It's a phrase. And when Jesus had taken this child in his arms. You see, someone there noticed something. That perhaps others there did not notice. Have you ever been somewhere... And you notice something that others may not have noticed? You know, that's what happened here. How did Mark get this? How did Mark know that when Jesus set this young child in his midst, you know, in front of them, and was using him as an object lesson, you know, and said, you know, uh, unless you become as this child. Well, Matthew said that and Luke said that. But Mark says he took him up in his arms. Wow. Why did Mark know that? Most likely because that was from Peter's observation. Why? Well, most likely because it was Peter's house. And what's that got to do with it? Most likely it was Peter's kid. Oh, you look at me shocked. I can't go to the scripture and point to you, but I can tell you I have the good sense to know that when Mary told her parents that she was pregnant, it was a little problem, but the scripture doesn't say that. Hello? I can't say for sure, but I can tell you that it really appears that only Peter knew. And this was a house. It wasn't a public setting. It was a private setting. It was a private setting after a long walk of these disciples coming home and Jesus going in and sitting down. And, and, they're, and they're getting rested and Jesus said, you know, and, and here's this little kid in the house with all this going on. It's not a public place. If it wasn't Peter's little kid, it was somebody's little kid that was welcomed in Peter's house in that moment that would have been a part of a family-type environment, a close time, a setting. You know, They're welcomed in that moment and, and, and happened to be moving around the house that Jesus said, Hey, c- come here, little buddy. Come here. And he took him up in his arms. You see, you notice, you notice what people do to your children more than you do what they do to other people's children. Right? Yeah. Peter noticed. That's the only way Mark, you know, that I imagine Mark could have ever known. Uh, And no doubt this child meant something to Peter. Um, And when he was recounting this to Mark... He felt as though it should be remembered and it should be recorded that Jesus cared about. Jesus loved these little children. He didn't just use him as an object lesson. He took him up in his arms. It wasn't just another good-sounding, moral-based sermon. It was Jesus loving and caring for and, and, and blessing the little children. It meant something to somebody because here we find it in the Word of God. It meant something to God. It meant something um, uh, to, to the writer and it should therefore mean something to us that Jesus took this time to gather this child up in his arms and, and it wasn't the last time that Peter would share something like this. In fact, it would just be perhaps another three days or so That we find Jesus and the 12 disciples walking towards Jericho on the way to Jerusalem where Jesus is ultimately in a few more days going to find himself on the cross of Calvary. And on the way, the Bible tells us in the next chapter, Mark the 10th chapter, it says in verse 1, And he left there and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him, and again, as was his custom, he taught them verse 13 and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and his disciples rebuked them why well perhaps it wasn't their kids (laughs) oh come on now but when jesus saw it he was indignant he was aggravated irritated frustrated upset and he was a About to stop this. Why? Because you don't do that to kids. Your kids, my kids, anybody's kids. You don't keep them from coming to Jesus and being blessed. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder to them, uh, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then look at verse 16. And he took them in his arms. Here's Mark again, talking about Jesus. Talking about, you know, yes, there's a lesson, but let me add something here. He took these children in his arms, and he blessed them, and he laid his hands on them. This is an act of a caring, loving God. Once again, Mark provides the picture of Jesus was a child in his arms. Someone noticed, and as I said, most likely it was Peter. Because whenever you have seen your children blessed by Jesus, children you care about, all of a sudden you start caring about other children. There's something happens in the life of someone who is touched by God. After decades, as I said, of study and prayer and meditation, let me tell you what I believe as I'm closing. Three things that I believe. Number one, love like charity begins at home. I believe that. I believe that love like charity begins at home. We must recognize and champion our love and our care for our own family. We should. We should make sure that we are not loving others and leaving out our own family. We need to make sure that we are not paying attention to others, caring about others, meeting so many other people's needs that we are not conscious of our own families. Love, as I said, and charity, like charity, begins at home. The scriptures say, do good unto all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, love demands priorities. Love demands that we establish some priorities. And we should take care of our family. That's, you know, that's just what the Bible says. Uh, and, and they will not know if you don't tell them. They will not know if you don't show them. You see, in as much as is possible, and it's not always up to you, but in as much as it is possible, I believe family first. I learned this from my Heavenly Father. I also believe that if we truly love God, we will love and care for others outside of our home. It's not an either or. It's a both and. I know because I have to share with a number of pastors and I encourage pastors to do mission work. And I can tell you that I have had a few conversations with pastors who tell me they will do missions work as soon as they get everything else they need in their church. Well, you know, their church is a priority, but it's not an either or. It is a both and. Because it is important to realize that if we really do love God, we are going to love others who are outside of our own home and our own family. And if we are not loving others, if we are not loving our neighbors, the Bible says that if you say you love God and don't love your neighbor, you are a liar and you don't even know that the truth is not in you. God demonstrates His love for His family and for those who are not. God loves the righteous and the unrighteous. And if we truly love God, we will love and care for others outside of our home as well. Jesus answered the question, who is my neighbor, when he commanded us to love our neighbor. The question was, it's the man who needs. It's the person who is in need. And if we do not demonstrate some love for people outside of our family, outside of our community, outside of our church, outside of of, of of our race, outside of our religion, outside if we do not love the Muslims, the Buddhist, if we do not love the atheist, we are missing the boat. If we do not care about the lost, we are missing the boat. We must love people outside of our arena if we are going to love God. God is not afraid of sinners. We cannot be afraid of people who may not be like us who may not even like us because it is the love of God that touches, saves, and meets needs. Well, I believe as I said that love like charity begins at home. I do believe in family first. But I also believe that If we truly love God, we will love and care for others outside of our own arena, outside of our own home. I want to be a well-done kind of guy. I want to be a kind of guy like Matthew 25, well done, (laughs) because you reached out and met needs, in which I can tell you for certain you are. A third thing that I believe I believe that unless we humble ourselves like a child, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What do you mean, humble yourself? Well, I don't know about you, but I can talk about my personal need. I need to push pride and self-reliance away from me constantly. I need to continue to humble myself. The Bible doesn't say God will humble you. The Bible says humble yourself and God will exalt you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. I need to continue to push self reliance. You know what humility is? Humility is your recognition that you need God, you need someone else. You need help. We should not be afraid to say, I need help. I need help. I need God. I need my friends. I need my family. Humble yourself. Because unless you become as a little child who is so quick to forget the infractions of life, the insults, the offenses. I don't know about you as I said, but I know about me. I must stop standing off and standing outside. I've got to stop. I don't want to be the big brother of the prodigal son and just be upset. I don't want to end up my life as a cranky old man. You don't either. Or one of those cranky old women. You don't want to be one of those old women that when people see you coming, they want to run somewhere else because there's nothing but a bunch of complaint in you. Fussing, complaining. Don't, don't, don't go there. Push it away. I heard some man say amen. Hold on here. No. <laughs> you don't want to be one of those opinionated old men. That that always you know has some opinion why what somebody else is doing you know. I don't want to be that. We need to humble ourselves and we need to stop standing outside and and, and standing off and we need to stop you know judging uh, you know. Uh, I have decided and I pray you would decide as well that I will humble myself and I will accept the fact that I don't know everything. That's hard for me. And then, I'm going to crawl up into the arms of Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to smile and just let, let other people be other people. I'm going to love them. I'm going to treat my family good. And I'm going to love others that are outside of my home. That's for me. How about you? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? I want to enter into the kingdom of God. How do you enter into the kingdom of God? Well, humbling yourself. Crawling up into the lap of Jesus. You know? Yeah, that's what Jesus said. By the way, the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what I want. I want to be right with God. I want to be at peace. And I want to have some fun in life. I want to be a happy guy. You know, I just, I'd just i love to be able to belly laugh. I can't laugh. I don't, I don't laugh out loud, but I laugh in here. But I just, uh, I just you know, come on. Come on, let's lighten up. And let's, let's love Jesus, love others, and let's just crawl up into his lap. If you'd like to do that, then, you know, let me pray with you. Okay? Those of you online, those of you here, do you stand to your feet and let's pray together? You might say, Preacher, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I, I uh, you know, you may not be sure because you may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The very first thing you have to do is accept Jesus. Here in our congregation, online, invite Jesus into your heart. You know, He's the answer you've been looking for. He's the hope of your eternity. Invite Jesus into your heart. Crawl up into his lap. Invite him in. Don't just leave here today saying, well, that sounded good, but without it affecting you. The Bible says that's what people do. They go away like looking into a mirror, and they forget what they even look like. Don't forget what you looked like a moment ago in your own eyes. Don't forget. God sees you happy. God sees you welcomed into His presence. God sees you full of joy and peace. That's for you. You can ask Jesus into your heart for the first time or into your life for the 10,000th time, and He will hear you and answer your prayer. Let's do that right now. Bow your head and close your eyes and, and, and receive this as I pray for us. We're all in the same boat together. God, Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross of Calvary for us. It is his blood that saves us from our sins. Lord, accept his sacrifice, Lord, as payment, Father, for our lives and our sin. Forgive us of our sin. Come into our heart, Lord Jesus. Come now. We receive you as Lord and Savior. Forgive us and teach us and guide us and show us how to live. Help us to be more like you. Forgive us, Lord, of where we failed you, Lord, and keep us, Lord, on the narrow and the right path. And God, we thank you, sir, for the chance we have to be a blessing to our family. Lord, right now, I commit, Lord, and these, Lord, we commit, Father, together. Lord, as we pray for ourselves, help us, Lord, to be a blessing to our families, Lord. Restore and repair breaches, Lord, and breaks in relationships, God. And Lord, restore joy and happiness in families, God. Lord, we pray for children to come home, Lord. For parents, Lord, to be reunited, God. For hearts to be open, God. And Lord, for joy, Father, and peace, God to be the fruit of our relationships Lord we pray as well Lord that you would open up doors of opportunity for us to be a blessing to others Lord not just our own Lord but God for others outside of our lives Lord that we would live a life that's filled Lord with taking advantage of opportunities you give us to share love and hope and peace and joy God that let us be just as happy when somebody else's kids are blessed as we are when ours are. And God, we pray, sir, as well, that you would help us, Lord. Give us the strength, Lord, to humble ourselves under your mighty hand, God. Lord, to push pride and self-reliance away, sir. And Lord, to continue to remind ourselves, Lord, that, that, that meekness is not weakness, Lord. That humility, Lord, is, is, is not, Lord, cowardice, Father. But Lord, it is a dependence upon you, Lord. God... Lord, restore unto us, Father, the joy that is unspeakable, Lord. God, as we humble ourselves before you, Lord, grant us righteousness, peace, and joy as the kingdom of God grows on the inside of us. Lord, we ask these things right now, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would not allow us to forget them as we crawl up into the lap of Jesus love on us, Jesus. Lord, and God love others through us. We ask in your name. Amen. 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 Hey, thanks again for joining us for another powerful message from Pastor Ron Hemans. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well,